Warning, this podcast may contain explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the Noisemaker Podcast, where we interview bands that you may have never found anywhere else. We are your number one spot for discovering all new music, get to know artists, understand what drives them, and hear from some of their top tracks. Join me, your host, Rocky Ferenberg, as we give rise to the underground world of music and set out to do what so many others have failed to, be a staple for the independent musician. Now... Let's make some noise. Welcome back. This is episode 30 of the Noisemaker Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you're returning, then thank you. If you like what we're doing here, please like, subscribe, and rate us with a five-star review. 
We are on all your favorite streaming platforms like iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at NoisemakerPod. On the Facebook page, we have a pinned post that will allow you to subscribe to a newsletter where it's easy to stay up to date with bands that have been on the program. Also, we're working on a Patreon subscription service with some added content and bonuses, so stay tuned for that. This is the Noisemaker Podcast, where we help you with that horrible problem that we all face, where to find new and original music. On the line with me is Will from the Teledynes. Did I, did I get that right? That's correct. There you go. How are you doing, Will? Excellent. Great, great, great. So, kind of how we, how we get into this show here is I, I, I always like to know who all is in the band. We have just you here right now, but um, kind of introduce yourself, everybody else in the band. Uh, go ahead and tell us what instruments everybody plays and kind of what, if anything, they do for the band outside of just playing their instruments. Okay. Um, so, for me, I, I play the guitar and I sing uh, most of the vocals. Um, and the, um, the other guys, uh, Mike Wallatop, he plays the upright bass and Eric Lapine plays the drums and outside of, outside of what they, what they do for the band besides, besides that, Eric uh, does a lot of the booking for the live entertainment. He runs a lot of the social media stuff. Um, responding to questions and that sort of thing. I take care of a lot of the posting um, for social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff, YouTube, and things like that. Um, Mike, pretty much he focuses on um, songs he sings and, and harmonies and that sort of thing. He helps us with some merch and that, that sort of stuff. Um, uh, my, let's see, would you ask me for my background, right? Well, yeah, mainly just the instruments you play and what and what it's what role you guys play in the band. You know, like yeah, you were talking that, about. That, that's basically that's basically the uh, the roles we we play. Great. Well, so I I know you guys are a trio, um, but yeah. I also I, as listening to the songs, I I hear a little bit of a horn section in some of these songs. So, are, is is this a group right. of musicians who you guys only have as like session musicians, like on the albums, or do they actually perform with you as well? They did perform with us. Um, occasionally, when we have either the budget or the space, a lot of the times, especially in New England, a lot of the clubs tend to be quite smaller. <laughs> so there's, there's not a lot of space for, for five, six-piece bands and so on. But when we do have the uh, the ability to do that, we, we try to get the other players in there. And I write all the horn charts for the for the, uh, for the right. band. So I just have um, players that I know from either the big band, uh, swing, uh jazz circuit or from schools would come in and they can just have the charts and they can just follow right along as long as they're, <laughs> cool. you know, good readers and they can, and we do that as, as often as we can. We don't do it as often as we'd like, but, uh, yeah, that's always, a that's always a nice treat when we get a chance to have the horns, horns come in and play with us. Yeah, that would be, that would be pretty, pretty cool. We actually have a, a ska band from uh, Boise, Idaho. They, uh, they don't, uh, do horns or anything, but as I'm, I've been to a few of their shows, and as I'm listening to it, I'm like, man, you know, it'd be so cool to hear like like a horn section live with a rock band. You know, that's that's always right. so so cool. But yeah, I mean, I love I love it. But but why uh, rockabilly? I mean, I've I haven't had a rockabilly band come to me yet, and actually, I I wanted to find one, hence you know you know finding you guys. But you know, it just doesn't seem like a, a, a you know that mainstream popular sound. So why why rockabilly? Um, 
for me, it's always been, I've, I started playing guitar, listening to uh, the Beatles is what really got me hooked to the sound of <laughs> the electric And then I listened to, got into Zeppelin and all that stuff and tried to move forward with just what was current and trying to get into more mainstream stuff. And I just noticed that a lot of the this, this, this stuff, there, there wasn't a lot of guitar. There's some here and there. But generally speaking, um, there just wasn't a lot of freedom for, for guitar playing. And I found that rockabilly, for me, allowed me to kind of be free and kind of mix and mash, mash all the different styles together. And I, could, I can play a solo and I can play something country-sounding or I can flip to a jazz sound and, and flip over to a, to a rock roll sound and, and kind of um, just uh, throw it all together. And that's, and that's what really appealed to me. Um, I think for the other guys, it's, uh, it's, it's the rhythm, the feel of the, the, the swinging tempos and just the energy that, that Rockabilly has. Um, we all, we all love, and we all have slightly different backgrounds in music, but we, um, the drummer of Eric, he has much more of a background in surf rock and ska too. And he's, that mixes very well with the Rockabilly because we don't play strictly Rockabilly. We also play some surf rock stuff. We play country, we yeah. play some blues. Um, and, and, uh, the bass player, Mike, he has some back, uh, background in bluegrass as well. So that kind of, all of that stuff kind of, you know, surrounds this whole root, uh, roots, roots music that we, that we all delve into. So rockabilly just tends to be the, the way it's, the way it's been going or the way we've been kind of pushing it, I guess. So was it hard to find, you know, rockabilly or, or surf rock yeah. uh, musicians? Very. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've had bands in the past. Um, I live in Rhode Island now, but I grew up in Florida, and I had a rockabilly band um, in Florida. And I kind of fell into that because I I joined that band uh, just finding an ad in a, in a paper um, with newspapers back then. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Don't date yourself, so, right? Uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I joined them and... and then um, I formed my own later, and the same guys ended up playing with me. And we did it for a while, and then um, we kind of all went our separate ways. I moved in, to New York and lived there for a little while and worked as a guitar uh, repair tech. And then finally moved to Rhode Island. And I played upright bass for many years in another band. And trying to find players that would play anything remotely what I, what I wanted to do, whether it was rockabilly, <laughs> surf rock, country, anything, anything. It was really, really tough. And after the years of playing upright bass, I, uh, Eric, the drummer, uh, came out to a couple of our shows and we hit it off. And I said, Oh, I actually play guitar. So, um, let's get it together. You're a drummer. Let's get together and try to, um, try to work something out. And that was 2013. I want to say we got together. And it took from 2013 to 2015 to find a bass player. <laughs> Wow! Wow! So yeah. So okay. So like like the market for finding musicians is always different than finding a market to play in. So it, it was rough trying to find the the people to play the the surf rock and rockabilly. But how about um, like playing clubs? I mean, I noticed that you guys got a, a decent amount of shows lined up on your guys's page. Um, I, yeah. I, I assume that you guys are are well received at least in your area. Or you know, oh, how does yeah, that work? Absolutely. 
Uh, the reception is always great. Um, it's It's been building every year. The first year we did it, we had a few gigs, maybe once, twice a month. Now, uh, the next year was even better. This year, um, we've had almost two, three times a week, and it's, yeah. it's, we're already booking into next year. It's very well received from all the clubs. The audience really it's, always loves it, and we always get great reception. Um, it's been it's been growing pretty steady, which is which is good. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the song that we heard at the top of the show? It was uh, the song is called Forty Seven Cadillac. Forty Seven Cadillac. Okay, that one. Um, I wrote. I was just thinking about. I always like classic cars, and I had this this melody just popped in my head, and I started thinking about the car, and I was like, oh. 47 Cadillac and I just okay well it sounded kind of like arcing back to almost a Bill Haley and the Comets kind yeah. of kind of feel and I thought oh I'm going to write a song around that that kind of thing and really get the upright bass in there and then puts and then it just kind of grew from there as most of the songs did they always started really really simple and then I said well I just stop in here and that in there and then I then after the the, the core that came together the drums bass guitar I would say well, let me put some horns on it so I'd write a horn chart usually for everything and then I. And then I hear it. I, I use a program called Finale to write all the horn charts, so I get to kind of hear what the com, what the computer is kind of playing. Yeah. So to hear what the sound is kind of going to be, and if I if I like it, I'll say okay. Then I'll get the actual horns in to the studio and record it. If not, then I just I'll just say I don't really care for this the way the horns are going, so I just don't have horns on that track or whatever. So the the song kind of grew organically um, from there. And I, I always, every time I write a song, I always create a demo. I'll use it just an electronic drum machine. Yeah. Put a little electric bass on it and uh, sing the basic song. And then I can hand that off to Eric and Mike, and then they can learn the tunes from there. And then we can, and then we go and we'll practice it, and we'll play it a couple times live. We always like to try to play the songs live and get get tight on them, and then we'll go into the studio and and lay them down. Yeah. Yeah. So the next song we're going to hear is called Calling on the Devil. You want to kind of do the same thing? Give us a little bit of a background on that song as well. Sure. Actually, that one, um, I got, uh, originally, the song's pretty quick. It's got a quick quick little tempo to it. And it, um, originally, I was going to write it pretty slow. going to write it kind of like a swing, kind of sultry, uh, minor sounding thing. And then I just said, I wonder what this would sound like if I play it really fast. <laughs> so... I said, okay, well, I played it really fast, so I kind of gave um, Eric the and Mike the, the 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 demo for it, and they said, I said, which one do you like better? And they said, we really like the fast one. So I said, okay, let's do it fast. So we started practicing it and rehearsing it, and and that's kind of the way it came out. And the inspiration for that song came from a, a show, a TV show I was watching at the time called uh, Lucifer, was on yep. Fox. Yep. And that show was. Um, I just found the show funny, and, and I thought, oh, it would be fun to write a, write a song just grab, looking for inspiration. And I thought, oh, I'll write a song called Call on the Devil. So that's kind of where that, <laughs> where that tune came from. Awesome. Well, this is going to be the Teledynes, Calling on the Devil. I'm the kind of guy who's big as mine and will make you want to believe the underworld and the city of sin. Me. You've been hiding, hypnotizing everyone on the scene. Look your way, caught in your gaze, seems like a man. 
king and just missed history. Trust in the world you can't see is the only thing that set you free. Look for the light at the end of the road and what are you doing between? Reach for the ace that's up your sleeve, but it's only make believe. guitar like me hey y'all this is rocky fernberg from the noisemaker podcast and i wanted to tell you all about warming guitars we all know that tone is the soul of the guitar and pickups create that perfect sound still the price of pickups can really break the bank these guys at warming guitars crank out some rad pickups at an affordable price i have been a boutique pickups guy my whole life however i find that the tone i pull out of warman's pickups is comparable to top manufacturers without the outrageous markup I endorse Warman Guitars as a common-sense alternative to pickups, and right now, Warman Guitars is offering exclusively to my listeners 20% off. That's right. When you go to warmanguitars.co.uk and enter Noisemaker20 at checkout, you'll receive 20% off your purchase. These pickups are already ridiculously affordable, and yet, Warman wants to offer the listeners of the Noisemaker podcast an additional 20% off by entering Noisemaker20 at checkout. So take a minute and visit my friends over at warmingguitars.co.uk and pick up your 20% off when you use Noisemaker20 at checkout. Warming Guitars, a new heritage. So we're back with Will from the Teledyne. So where does the band name come from? Because I was, I, I didn't look it up, but I was thinking to myself, you know, what, what is a Teledyne, you know? So wh- where does the band name come from? Well, actually, uh, the drummer, Eric, came up with it. Um, he heard it, uh, I think it was an old uh, company just called Teledyne years ago when he was a kid. And, or when, I don't know how long ago it was, but he came to me and he said, I, they're going to just call on us when we were looking for a name, just call on us the Teledynes. And I went, okay, that sounds, that sounds pretty cool. Um, it's just got a cool ring to it. And so we just started doing that. And then I looked up, okay, well, does that have any meaning to it? And, and so it does actually, there's a, it's um, two words. It, it has a Greek root in it. Tele meaning to broadcast like television. Um, and dine means power or force. 
Huh. So it was broadcasting force or power. So that's kind of the, that's the meaning behind it. So I thought, oh, that's fitting. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. What's the uh, what's the music uh, scene in Rhode Island like? How does uh, Rhode Island compare to maybe the rest of New England? I, I know you've done some traveling around, some different shows in some other areas, and you, you mentioned you lived in Florida. So what what is yeah. <clears throat> what is the music scene in Rhode Island like, and how does it compare to like the rest the other places you've played? Uh, let's see. Well, Rhode Island's been really good good to me. It's been really good to us as a band. Um, there's definitely a music, definitely a pretty good scene around. Uh, it's all, the state's pretty small, so you can get around the whole state in about an hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you can, so the Providence, which is the capital, uh, the main city, there's there's a lot of clubs there. Uh, we play in another, uh, another place called Wakefield down in Matunic, a lot of beach um, coast clubs and stuff like that. So the other scene's been good as far as New England goes. We've always tried to get into Boston, but from a lot of the bands we've been hearing, a lot of the scene's kind of drying up in Boston. Oh, that's and there's just really not a lot. Yeah, I know. There's not, not a lot going on there. So we just haven't really been... There's a couple of places that are still doing live music, but but a lot of the clubs have either closed up or, or they've just, they're just not not getting a lot of live entertainment or not getting draw or whatever. Yeah, uh, Connecticut is getting is pretty good. Harvard, uh, New London. We haven't really branched out too much into that realm. Rhode Island's kept us pretty busy with two or three gigs a week, and we do private events, of course, too. So that that fills up our our calendar, and we all have full time jobs too, so we can't do, we don't go too crazy. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's the scene's been great compared to Florida. It's Florida was good. Florida's a lot more spread out, of course, so. Down there, I would try Orlando. Not really. That's where I'm from, and I would play a lot in Cocoa Beach, Daytona, and down in the Keys or Fort Lauderdale, uh, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach, the Panhandle. And it just to go from Orlando to the Panhandle takes about eight hours. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a it's a big drive, and down to the Keys is about six. <laughs> so to take a gig down there, you always have to try to book a couple in a row. Yeah, on the way down or on the way, it's like booking little mini tours, and <laughs> it was cool at first. And then that was about 2005, and the gas prices went sky high, and it just became impractical to keep doing that. Yeah, and and so we just uh, just kind of that's kind of when the, that old band just kind of dissolved, and and then I moved to New York, and then and Florida, I mean Rhode Island. I never really played too much in New York, maybe once or twice, so I, I can't really comment on that how that scene is. Well, I want to jump back real quick. I I asked, I was talking a little bit about um, the band and and kind of how the band formed. I want to come back and touch on one more thing real quick. Uh, Was was it kind of a rough start with with like with the typical lineup? Uh, You know, most bands kind of experience somebody coming into the band, leaving the band. um, Yeah, changes in lineup. One 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 change. Um, We had a bass player that we originally found on Craigslist. And ah, good old Craigslist. A year. Huh? It's a good old yeah. Craigslist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, it's been good to me in the past, but and and he's he's a great guy. Um, he just um, he joined the band and and we played a bunch of shows for about a year, a year and a half, and he just had different musical um, goals. He just wanted to kind of play casually and and wanted to play a lot more um, a side popular songs. Yeah. And the drummer and I kind of wanted to do more of the B-side, uh, obscure 
uh, covers when, and then integrate originals. And he wanted to play the, the, the familiar with rockabilly stuff, the typical like 20 flight rock, shake, rattle and roll, Johnny's yeah. good, all of that stuff. And we just kind of like, eh, I've been playing that since I started playing guitar. I don't want to continue doing that. <laughs> you know, and try to market it, market a band. So that's kind of where we 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 parted ways, and then we found uh, Mike, um, which I had known. I met him uh, about a year or so, or earlier that year, a year before he left, and he was available. And I gave him a call, and I said, "Hey, you want to join the join the Teledynes and and you know <laughs> full time?" And it, and he said, "Yeah, sure, I'd love to." So. We hit it off, and he learned all the songs, and we rehearsed with him. It took about a month or so, and then he got all the tunes down, and then we played our first gig. It's been been that way ever since. So, you because you had mentioned that there was a pretty decent gap between uh, finding your drummer, finding Mike on the bass. Um, yeah. So, but you were also talking about, you know, obviously you were still writing material at that time. So, uh, I was curious, did you write the bass for like all the early songs since you, you know, you play stand up bass anyways. So did you write the bass for the early songs, you know, while you were still waiting to find a bassist or did you just yeah. kind of leave that open? And then whenever he came in, he kind of wrote his own thing too. Um, for all of the tunes, I wrote all the bass parts except for crazy train. I let that, cause that was when he started he started coming into the band and I let him just kind of, you know, come up with his own thing. And I gave, gave him the chords and said, this is, this is the idea. And he just, uh, he came up with his own thing for that one. Uh, yeah, I pretty much wrote every, all the, all the parts and Eric, I would do a, a drum track for him. He would take the, the part and embellish and say, okay, well, that's the beat. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to, you know, yeah. whatever he's going to do and add, put his own flavor onto it. And Mike did the same thing. He put his own flavor onto it, but, um, a lot of the bass lines are pretty straight ahead anyway. They're just they're following the chord progression. So let's talk a little bit about the writing process. We kind of t- we kind of touched on it in the previous section, but walk us through what the process for the Teledynes looks like. Um, every song had a different, slightly different approach. I would always have this either subject matter idea that would pop into my head, or a melody, or or sometimes lyrics and melody would come together. That's kind of the way it would would usually happen. And I would just start have once I came up with a melody and I'd come up with some basic a basic verse and if I didn't have the lyrics I would just put some gibberish in there just to <laughs> fill the space. <laughs> yeah. And then I would and then I would and then I would go back and say, Okay, well, let me let me fix this lyric and fix that lyric and then I would have the structure of it and then I'd say, Okay, well, what am I gonna do for, am I gonna do an intro on this or how's it gonna end? And I would just come up with a different different spots. Sometimes we would get together as a band and work on things like that. Generally, I, I pretty much um, did most of it myself for this album. Um, September was actually written by Eric. It was an instrumental oh. that's on the album. And he came up with the main melody for it. And then he said, I like where this is going, but I don't, I need, I need something else. So I came up with a bridge for it. And that's how that song kind of kind of came about and Cohagen was kind of that one was done kind of as a whole band effort that was just made up on the spot you know we each kind of put our little little flavors on it <laughs> and I'd write a horn chart over the top of it and that's kind of how the process works sometimes I'd come up with a guitar like I think Way Out West was Way Out West was a little bit of both but um, every every song was different sometimes I'd have a guitar lick and say oh, I want to write a song around this lick I want to I really want to play <laughs> yeah play that 
play that guitar lick, and so I'd, I'd have I'd have to write a song for an excuse to play it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the next section I have here has has to do with um, usually some kind of icebreaker, something that uh, uh, is a little bit more off the wall, just to prep you for it. So, who was your childhood celebrity crush? Crush? Yes. Oh, jeez, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't really, I've never really had too many celebrity, uh, crushes. No, you never actually. had a, never had that, that, that one, that one musician, girl musician that I you just had, absolutely love. I had like musicians like heroes and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Never had like, if you're talking about like, like, is that what you're talking about? No, give me a, give me a hero then. Who, who was your childhood hero? Uh, childhood hero was probably, um, <laughs> would probably have been. Believe it or not, I was actually uh, as a, for a musician was actually John Williams. Oh, really? The uh, the, uh, the yeah, and he I just loved listening to film scores and just was fascinated with how how he could come up with all of these these melodies. And then later, as I got a little older and I started playing music, I would say um, definitely uh, Paul McCartney, John Lennon. Yeah, I were good. You know, my 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 heroes and. And of course, Brian Setzer, getting into rockabilly and that sort of thing as a, as a guitar player. And, um, yeah, that's kind of those uh, Led Zeppelin. As I said before, those were big influences on me. But I'd say probably my biggest hero, actually, Paul McCartney, is what got me into rockabilly. <laughs> um, <laughs> just be, uh, he did an album called uh, Run Devil Run back in like ninety. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, and he the opening song on there was a Gene Vincent cover, "Blue Jean Bop," and it's just the, the the delay on his on his voice, and then the the way it kicked in with the brushes on the on the drums and that delay on the guitar. When I say David Gilmore was playing the guitar on that, actually, <laughs> and I just I fell in love with that sound, and I'm like, oh, he I knew he did that album. That was the Beatles' roots was was rockabilly. So with, with that, it, it I wanted wanted to go back and see what the Beatles' roots were. So I found out Gene Vincent and Eddie Cochran, Bill Haley and the Thomas, Little Richard and all that stuff. And I'd always listened to that as a kid. I always listened to the oldies, the oldies radio station as a kid. So I'd always heard all that stuff. And so I just kind of delved deeper into uh, like Sun Records and, and other rockabilly stuff. And somebody else introduced me to say, oh, you like rockabilly? Listen to this. This is a band called The Stray Cats. So <laughs> Stray Cats, yeah. I, I, do, that, I do know The Stray yeah. Cats. Yeah. So I heard that, and I was like, oh, this is great. And then he said, hey, let's check out the Brian Setzer Orchestra. This guy was a trombone player. So he's like, I love this, just with all the horns in it. I, I love that. And at the time, I was just playing, um, I was probably, I think it was 15, 16, something like that. And I had just started trying to play on the guitar and into the Beatles and Zeppelin and then into trying to get, I was into uh, trying to be, like I said, more uh, mainstream and modern. So I was getting into like Matchbox 20. Yeah. Uh, Third Eye Blind was popular in the 90s and then I saw I had heard the the album by Setzer the Dirty Boogie and I thought I'd love to see this band live you know but they, they these a lot of these bands weren't coming down to Florida at the time and I just happened to be walking by uh, House of Blues at, at, down at uh, Disney and the Setzer Orchestra was playing next month and I went oh my god I gotta get tickets <laughs> I gotta go so 
I got it. I got there. I was up front, and it just blew me away. And I said, "That the kind of music I want to play," you know. Yeah, super cool. So, I always love hearing that. Uh, you know, coming coming to find your place. You know, story. You yeah. know, hearing that. Hearing that one. That one. Sh- See, because I grew up, I was a huge Aussie fan, and I loved Randy Rhodes. Randy Rhodes was probably one of one of the reasons I picked up a guitar. And uh, my first concert was uh, was Ozzy Osbourne. It was actually going to be my brother was going to take me to my first concert, and it was going to be Blink One Eight Two, and they canceled. So my brother got a refund and said, "Because I'm from Alaska," so he's like, "Well, whatever the next big rock show that comes up here, I'll take you to." And it just happened to be Ozzy. So I've been thankful of my whole life that my first concert was Ozzy and not Blink One Eighty Two. But this this next song is called uh, Crazy Train. So you mind telling us a little bit about Crazy Train? Uh, yeah, Crazy Train was uh, was actually written as a, we needed when uh, we needed another song for the album. We had nine songs, and I was like, okay, we I want to do at least ten. So I just started coming up with this. I want to do this minor swing rockabilly feel. So I just started coming up with this 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 melody, and and I just kind of put some lyrics in there that uh, that talk about somebody kind of. Basically, like if I was, I'd left left a couple of bands, and people have left me in the past. Was kind of gra- grabbing from that kind of experience and writing a song about, uh, basically about that. And I just like really like the feel. I thought, oh, well, this would be a great little. Came up with a guitar lick and said, and I had a guitar lick in place already. I knew I wanted to use it somewhere, so I wrote the rest of the song as a way to open the album with a big with a, a big punch. So that was the reason behind that one. Nice. Well, this is going to be Crazy Train by the Teledyne. I never thought about leaving, but you make me change my mind. Every time we meet like this, I still can't reconcile. This round, right? 
Are you looking for a professional screen printer? Ghost Town Hardware has high quality staff to accommodate all your screen printing needs. Are you in a band, on a sports team, or looking for company t-shirts? Whatever it may be, Ghost Town Hardware provides skilled professionals that will complete the job on time. Ghost Town Hardware strives to provide the best product at the perfect price. I have personally used Ghost Town Hardware several times in the past. Not only did my band repeatedly purchase shirts, stickers, and more, but I also used Ghost Town Hardware to provide attire for my event staff. I have been treated fairly and with respect, which is not something everyone can say. Right now, for new clients, Ghost Town Hardware is offering 60% off all setup fees when you use the promo code NOISEMAKER60. Once again, Ghost Town Hardware is taking over half of the setup fee price off for new clients when you use NOISEMAKER60. To redeem your 60% off setup fees, just email josh at gthardware at gmail.com. That's g-t-h-a-r-d-w-e-a-r at gmail.com. Or you can call at 208-731-3566. Again, that's 208-731-3566. And use the promo code NOISEMAKER60 to get 60% off your setup fees. Ghost Town Hardware. Quality over quantity. Some restrictions may apply. All right, so we're back, and we got Will here from the Teledynes for just just a few more minutes, and uh, we'll just dive right back in here. It it would seem that you need. Uh, particular gear to achieve kind of that classic rocks you know classic surf rock sound you know uh so what piece of gear could you not get through a show without oh uh, all of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah um probably uh probably the it's for me the delay pedal it's a big part of the rockabilly sound and and surf rock sound too with the with the reverb as well. Um, so personally, I just just playing the uh, the amp that I use too is really is has been great. I use an old sixty three Fender Bassman, nice, um, which is a similar similar setup to what what Setzer has uh, with the with the Gretsch with the Gretsch guitar and the solid back of that that cabinet. And the, the hollow bodies are very have a very round sound, and the solid back really kind of compresses everything and punches everything out. When you have an open back, it's a little more washy, yeah. and you lose some of the distinction in the notes. So that's part of the reason why I use that. And I've tried all, all different kinds of amps. I've tried uh, twin reverbs. They're so loud, it, it's hard to control them. <laughs> and I've tried Vox AC30s, and, and they sound great when I play Beatles stuff, but everything else just kind of sounds uh, a little... Uh, uh, Tin canny, <laughs> so I, so I, uh, I, I was in a shop in Florida, uh, and they had an old '63 Bassman sitting there, and I plugged it, my Gretsch guitar into it. And I said, "There it is. That's the sound. I got to get this thing." <laughs> so that that amp uh, with a delay pedal, um, I just I use a Roland uh, RE20 uh, Space Echo, the digital the digital version of it, the digital pedal. And the nice thing about having the combo, like I said earlier, a lot of the clubs in New England are pretty small, so having an amp that size, a 212 cab, is pretty loud. Yeah. So I use this thing called a PhD hot plate. I guess that would kind of be the equipment that I would really need to get through a lot of these shows because it's a, a power soaker 
an attenuator that I can plug, put in between the cab and the, the head so I can still get the tone and the, and the overdrive of the amp that I want, but not be in ear piercing and not be loud. So that's, that's a big part of the setup. Without that, I would be just either too quiet and lose all sustain and, and, and tone or just way too loud and, and drive everybody out. <laughs> so, um, as far as the bass player, uh, that's, that's kind of my, my gear. Uh, the, uh, I know, uh, Mike uses an Engelhart upright bass, which I use too when I played upright. Those are great. They're kind of an old, um, the old K bases, which is what a lot what was used in the forties the, the and fifties. Uh, Engelhart took them over, basically took the, the design over. So now they're making all of these, the bases very similar to where, to where the K's were. And he uses a K and K pickup and a, and a, I think it's a Mark, I want to say a Mark III base cab with a gallon and Cougar uh, head. Yeah, he's got a nice, and, nice setup there. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's in a, in a compressor. It's got a DVX compressor in it. Um, it's, a, it's a good sound. It, it, it cuts through. You get the slap and you get the, the, the click of the upright bass and you get the tone really well. Uh, Eric, he uses um, an, a vintage Rogers drum kit. So he has a he has a bunch of them. I think they're all around sixty or sixty five uh, vintage kits. Yeah. So you guys really, really you guys really rock the the gear from the time, rock the gear from the time of the music that you're really wanting to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Completely absolutely. authentic no there. Really... Yeah. Yeah. We try we try to get the gear. It's always been the sound that I've just gravitated towards, and I always liked the sound of the vintage amplifiers. I don't use a vintage guitar. It's a newer guitar. It's like the 90s and mid-2000s. Oh, shame on you. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the vintage <laughs> ones are a little out of my price range, but even then, I noticed that a lot of the old ones, especially the Gretches, they, they do tend to fall apart, and the, the frets pop out of the the, the fingerboard, and, and it's and it's you kind of have to put a lot into them to get them to function properly. Yeah. And so the, the playing as much as we do, it, it it just wouldn't be practical and not reliable. So, but they're pretty much they're made pretty similar to the way they were. Uh, actually, a little better than the way they were. So that's the only. So I uh, I I, uh, I would imagine playing in in this genre and kind of in this field, you would have to kind of carry a specific image as well and i could see kind of you know with with some of the uh clothes you guys are wearing in your in your photos that there is that image so uh how important is image for musicians uh for musicians yes it all varies i think i think for rockabilly specifically i think images is is pretty important a lot of rockabilly bands that we play with and and have played with they always have of course either the pompadour or or the 50s style haircut or something (laughs) Um, that they always go, some people will go all out and well at, wear actual vintage clothing. I don't, I don't do anything like that. None of us do that, but, uh, uh, it'll, it'll be either country themed, uh, shirts or we'll do, uh, you know, like leather jacket type stuff. At least I will. Uh, sometimes we'll do, uh, if we're playing like a, a total surf rock type, type atmosphere type show, we'll do maybe Hawaiian shirts or, or, we played a couple of luau's and stuff like that, so we'll we'll kind of cater the <laughs> the image to the club we're playing and the venue we're playing. If we play a more country blues type place, we might do country shirts or or something like that. I gotta get booked or, on a luau, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
I've been to a few and they're they've got some good food there. I gotta I gotta get booked on playing a luau. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, well, they're they're a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so the um uh kind of wanted to. I know you kind of answered this already. Well, something similar. You were talking about some of your favorite bands and uh, some shows you've been to. But what was your most influential album and why was it so influential to you? I'd probably, I'd probably have to say there's a couple, there's, there's at least two because um, the one that really got me into playing music to begin with was probably, probably uh, Sgt. Pepper. Nice. And may, and maybe Abbey Road. And Abbey Road's my favorite Beatles album, but Sgt. Pepper was the one I heard. I heard that first, and that one really got me into the playing, wanted to play guitar and, and, the song that really got me into the Beatles of all songs was I am the walrus. And <laughs> that's not, that's not something you hear a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I just love the craziness of it and the, the, the wild lyrics and, and the sound of it was so weird. So I, I just wanted to listen to more of what they did. And that's the, and then I heard the, the Sergeant Pepper album and I just really got that. And then getting into the rockabilly stuff would really, the album that was most influential was probably the Brian Fetzer Orchestra's Dirty Boogie. I just, I'd heard the other ones too, but that one, just the sound of it, the the way the guitar was, was, um, was, e- was mic'd or EQ'd or the way they recorded that guitar with the, the upright slap bass. The previous albums he had done, you, did, you didn't, there wasn't a, a slap bass on anything. Yeah. So you could really hear that with the horns, with the drum and the drums and everything else, and it just really kind of. And then when I saw it live again, it was just that album. I think it was probably the most influential, influential album for me. Great. Well, we're, we're going to be getting ready to wrap up here in just a minute. So this next area, I kind of leave open for bands to throw uh, any type of shout outs or plug anything. Um, tell people where, I'll plug. I'll uh, link to all the music in the show notes. But you know, you can also talk about where people can find your music shows what you can put i've had people plug, plug pizza places and tattoo shops and so whatever this is all for you do do your thing here oh okay um just to plug stuff yeah just plug uh, things and shout outs oh shout outs okay um well, let's see i'd like to give a shout out to um uh the you know the venues that we play that's been our, our biggest help uh poor judgment down in newport they've been a uh, big supporters of us since the very beginning uh, the pub in the tunic and, uh, Nicanese and Providence. Um, I don't want to leave anybody out, but, uh, those are the big, those are the big ones that have helped us. And, uh, a band of local band in Rhode Island called Neil and the Vipers have been extremely helpful and they've given us some opening shows for them and got us some gigs, got us into a bunch of, a bunch of clubs uh, that we weren't able to get into on our own. Um, uh, let's see who else. Uh, I want to thank uh, Matt Wunsch, who is, uh, has helped us get into a couple of other clubs. Uh, that's I, mean, I think that's I'm probably missing missing somebody, <laughs> but uh, that's <laughs> yeah. There'll always be somebody after the show that says, "Hey, you didn't you didn't right. say me, or yeah. you didn't say this person." <laughs> so right. shout, shout out to everybody else. <laughs> yeah, shout out to everybody else that's helped us, and thanks to everybody, all the fans, and everybody that that. that that's come out to the shows and supported us. And if we, you know, without you guys, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. So we really appreciate it. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. It's been really fun chatting with you. Uh, the last song that we're going to hear is called uh, "Way Out West." Do you mind telling us a little bit about a little bit about "Way Out West"? Sure. Uh, "Way Out West" was I wanted to write some kind of a country type two beat song that would kind of put some, a different flavor on on the album. So I came up with this guitar lick. And where am I going to, again, where am I going to put this thing? So I'm out, I'm actually outside shoveling snow. And I started thinking about this, oh, this, this tune way out west. And I'm like, okay, well, and I'd always been, I'd always wanted to visit. I'd never had a chance to visit uh, Montana or Idaho or Colorado. And I always wanted to go out there. And so I wrote this song about, oh, what it be like one day? My, my wife and I, we always talk like one day we're just going to, you know, we'll, maybe we'll move out to out west somewhere. But um, I started thinking about the tune and just saying, well, write a song about that, that I'm going to go out there. And that's, um, that's kind of how the song kind of evolved and an excuse to kind of play country licks. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is going to be the Teledyne's Way Out West. Big sky country far away from here Heading on that open road to the old frontier Way out west, open roads and riding free Way out west, a place I want to ride is where the Rocky Mountains rise Way out west Set the hitch and fill the tank and to the open plains Travel across that USA, I don't care how long it takes Everybody enjoyed my uh, interview with Will from the Teledynes. It was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, actually, I really got to give a big shout out to Will because I was having a lot of computer problems for the last few weeks, and 
I spilled coffee on my laptop and had to have it sent away. And I gave him the runaround for a couple of weeks trying to get this thing recorded. And he really hung in there and came through uh, each time. Was just like, no, it's not a big deal. I, I get it, man. And <laughs> I look like a big flake. So I'm happy that he hung out because it was really cool. And I really wanted to get um, somebody who had that rockability, you know, and surf rock. That's just such a cool sound. Surf rock. I always think of... Um, the Beach Boys, and and you know we didn't really touch on that here, and uh, it's it just it was really cool. I was really excited to have uh, a different genre kind of uh, break up the monotony a little bit. So um, if you guys uh, get a chance, go over there and check out their music and uh, uh, support some uh, independent bands. Next week we're gonna have on a band from York, Pennsylvania. Once again, I would like to thank everyone for listening. Please like, share, subscribe, and give us a review, a five star review. I have included links to the band's pages and the and music in the show notes. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook at twi- and Twitter at NoisemakerPod. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at NoisemakerPod at gmail.com. And until next time, don't stop following your dreams.